0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die hard Georgia fans in the country.
1: Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co host, Curtis, who is here to help me with the final listener mailbag of this long depressing often torturous offseason and man I cannot adequately articulate just how good that feels to say it's been a unique time for sure but things are trending in the right direction as of now and we might just maybe possibly get some sort of college football season this fall. And you guys sent in a ton of questions with your eyes directly set towards that college football season. And as has been the case just about every month since the pandemic started, at least it feels that way. I would say at least the last three months. We had so many questions this month sent in that we are not going to be able to get to all of them in the window that we have to record today. So we are once again breaking this month's mailbag up into two parts. Which means if your question is not answered today, I promise you we will get to it on part two later this week. And if you're listening to part one right now and you have a question to send in, you still have some time to get that in. If you get it into us before Thursday afternoon, we will get it up on part two of the mailbag that we will be recording Thursday, probably early evening on Thursday. And if your question does end up on part two, I just want to make this clear to everyone out there, that doesn't mean... That we didn't like your question. When we get a ton of questions like this, when we have to divide things up into two different episodes, we try to even things out as much as possible. And what I mean by that is, like, we try to have a nice mix of of in depth X's and O's questions, recruiting questions, general team questions, and, and usually there's a fun question or two that we like to throw in on, on each episode. So I just want to put that out there so no one gets upset with us and thinks that we're trying to play favorites or anything like that. But we've got a lot of questions to run through today. So, Kurt, let's go ahead and open things up with some news that actually came out today. Kurt, I actually don't know if you saw this. I know you were you were in class all day at law school. But did you happen to catch the AP poll that, that hit the news wires today?
0: Yeah, I did catch that, of course. You know, the AP had to put the teams. They said the voting already took place, so they had to include the teams that aren't playing this year.
1: You don't have to include anyone. Just take them out and all those teams that got – because I did this myself for this show because our first question is about this. What you do is take all those Big Ten and Pac-12 teams out and you update the rankings just moving up the teams from the others receiving votes list. It's really not that hard. It took me about five minutes to do that. Like, it's just a complete joke. Like, an absolute unbelievable level of ridiculous stuff. I think there was nine Big Ten and Pac-12 teams in the preseason AP poll. And they're, they're saying, what, week one they're going to take them out? But, hey, they're in, in, the, in the preseason. Like, just stop. Just absolutely Stop. But if you guys did not see it, it was released today. And actually, we're recording this on Monday night. So you might be listening to it later in the week. We know that. But uh, we're recording it Monday night. So it was released earlier on Monday afternoon. So like I said, what I did is I went and updated the rankings without the Big Ten and the Pac-12 teams just moving up the teams from the others receiving votes list. And so our first question is about that. It's from Richard. Appreciate the question, Richard. And he asked, the preseason AP poll came out today. Do you think Georgia is being overrated or underrated by the media. Also, which top 10 teams do you think are the most overrated and which team is most underrated? I thought this would be a good question to start with today, Curtis, because we can take this in a couple of different directions. So let's open with the first part of that question. Is Georgia overrated or underrated right now by the college football media? And if you look at my updated rankings here, when you take out the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams, we are number three in the preseason AP poll, my updated preseason AP poker. So at number three, are we overrated or underrated right now? I think we're perfectly rated realistically because you saw what we were able to do last year with a terrible
0: offense and a stout defense. So we're going to return that stout defense. You just don't know about the offense, but you have to, you're led to believe that with some of the changes we've made in things, that it's – only getting that will be better so if we're have a better offense this year I think it's perfectly placed rate ranking honestly
1: yeah I I think that's a fair way to look at it look I I'm not gonna go on a rant about this I don't feel that strongly about it It, look we're talking about one spot I think Clemson fairly so is probably in the right spot at number one the preseason I think you can make a pretty strong argument that we should be ahead of Alabama right now based off what we saw from these teams last year, and what each team returns, I, obviously, I know a, a lot of the the voters out there are holding the offense against us from last year, and I get that we have a whole new offense. But like, like, you, like, like we've said all offseason long, our offense is going to be better this year. I, I, I will stake. I won't say I'll stake my life on it, but I, I did a lot of money on that that our offense will be better this year. It's just, a, I mean, let's be honest, no matter, be matter how much worse. Yeah, I mean, you—you you could. It is kind of—is it really like one of those situations for you? Like, how could we be worse from last year? Uh, it really feels
0: like that because of how bad we were last year.
1: And I would say the second half of last year, the first half we averaged like over five hundred yards a game. The first six games of the year, then after that, like really once Cajun went down, we talked about this so so much last year. But after he went down, the offense just spiraled, absolutely spiraled, and certainly the competition took, a, took a, a step forward in the, in the second half of the season. That had something to do with as well, playing teams like Florida and Auburn, of course. But but still, our offense second half of the year was a totally different unit. Fromm was a totally different guy. We couldn't run the ball with near as much efficiency as we did earlier in the year. But I, I think if you look at this team, yes, the offense will be better. I, I've said throughout the offseason, I think there's an argument to be made. I know it's tough to be better than what we were defensively last year but I think there's a chance that we could actually be better. If you look at all the guys that we have returning and the injection of young talent that we have along with that, getting some guys back from injury, like guy like Tyson Campbell as well. You got guys like Trevon Walker and Tyreek Stevenson that really came on late in the season, but they're going to be factors from day one this year, barring injuries. So I think there's an argument to made that we could be better defensively than we were last year. It's slightly better, or at least right where we were last year. And I think we're going to be better offensively. So if that's the case, then why can't we be better than Alabama this year? And I know people look at the schedule and people rate, they, they rank teams in different ways. They use different criteria. There's no set uniform way to rank teams. A lot of people look at the, the schedules like where are teams going to be at the end of the year. Some people like myself, when you talking about preseason rankings and really rankings in general, I just look at it and say, who is the best team right now? Who is the better team right now? And I think you can make an argument that Georgia is better than Alabama right now. We saw the issues Alabama had defensively last year, should they get Dylan Moses back? Was that going to fix all the issues they had, especially when you use a lot of their key players in the secondary? I, I, I don't know if the answer is yes right now. You lose your best interior lineman in Raquan Davis. So I, I really don't know if Alabama is going to be better than us. But look, again, we're talking about one spot. I'm not going to like scream and yell about that. It's fine. So I, I think – you can say that we're kind of fairly ranked right now. Being in the top three, I think that's about right for where we where we should be at this point. Somewhere there in that top three. But what about the next question here, Kurt, that Richard threw at us? Which top 10 team do you think is most overrated? And guys, I think last year, by the way, was the first time since I believe 2001 when every single team that was ranked inside the top 10 in the preseason actually finished the season ranked every other year since 2001 before last year there's always at least one team sometimes two teams that were ranked inside the top 10 the preseason that not only did they end up the season outside the top 10 they ended the season completely out of the ap top 25 so Kurt, if you're looking at that top 10 this year and i know you don't have it you might not have it right in front of you but i can read off you this is my update list you have the big 10 the pack yeah i've got it i've got it in front of me you got it right got here it okay me. so which top 10 team do you think is most overrated that might be that team that drops completely out of the rankings when it's all said and done?
0: I'm going to go with LSU. Um, I honestly just don't know how much you're – what you're getting with Miles Brennan. You don't have the Clydes, the Clyde Edwards to layer everything he brought last year. And, yes, you have Jamar Chase coming back. But the thing is what made them so deadly last year was the amount of receivers you had, like as big the, – all the big plays uh, – Jamar Chase made, I think, was, was only magnified by how good Justin Jefferson was in the slot. And, I mean, you also had Joe Burrow, who was just very smooth in the quarterback route. So I you, And then you lose Brady, um, Brady, so you don't really know what they're going to be. And then defensively, they lost a lot. They had, like, what, eight players drafted off their defense? So if I had to pick it, and then you lose Dave Aranda also, so pretty much you lose your two best coordinators. That's why I'm definitely going to choose them to finish outside the top ten or, or, I mean, just in general, probably the most overrated top ten team.
1: Yeah, the David Randa point is a good point because, like, we've heard all offseason about, oh, but Georgia's. I mean, they're they're not going to win the East again this year. Florida's going to win the East, and and what do they always point out Well, number one it was schedule. And then, well, there's just so many questions about Georgia's defense. They have our Georgia's offense. They have a whole new staff coming in, new quarter or a whole new uh, coordinator, a new quarterback, new offensive line. It, it's all changing, right? And and they're using that kind of justify why Florida might actually beat us and end up winning the SEC East this year. But you don't hear that talk about LSU's defense, which is kind of facing the same scenario. They're actually losing more on defense than we're losing on offense. And they're losing their coordinator. Yes, they're bringing in Bo Pelini. But Bo Pelini has no more of a track record as a coordinator, really. I know he's been a head coach at, at Nebraska. But he has no more of a track record, really, in my opinion, as far as I'm concerned, at, that Todd Munkin does as an offensive coordinator. So I, that's a really interesting point that you bring up there. because I, I haven't really heard many people mention that and bring that up when you talk about LSU. So I think LSU is a good choice there. I'm going to stick in the SEC West, but I'm going to go with a different team here. I'm going to go with Auburn. I'm just not seeing it this year. I I, I do not see – even with the fact that we have like 40% of college football not playing this year, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, I'm just not seeing Auburn as a top-10 team right now. I I just don't see it. I'm not buying it right now. Their defense was what won them games last year. We know that. But if you look at defensively, they lost all their best players. You lose Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, Noah Ibnogany – they lose basically their entire secondary outside of who I think was their weakest link in the back end, which is Christian Tut, their star. He's coming back, but that's about it in their secondary. They're going to be relying on guys like Big Cat Bryant. I mean, I was reading Auburn practice report over the weekend, and they were really playing up Big Cat Bryant. And I'm like, man, Really? You're relying on that I mean, they've guy. They've been playing him. him up
0: the last couple of years too, though. Let's be honest.
1: They have. They, they, he's a guy that he was hyped as, as a recruiter. He's a classic case. About he was hyped as a recruiter, so they just expect that he's going to break out at some point. But you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't happen. The dude through the first three years of his career, he has a total of seven sacks, and that's what he was brought in to do. So he's all of a sudden just going to take a he's massive He's one of those
0: effort. that you know all the prognosticators will keep talking about him until he finally does something, so then they're Right.
1: Yeah, and that's and, and the, yeah, I think that this that really might be a case with with a guy like Big Cat Bryant. And so the defense is really that was their calling card last year. I think they're gonna take a I don't want to say a massive step back because I do think Kevin Steele is a good coordinator. and They still have some talent back there. I like their linebacker group right now. I think it's a really good group, as good as a group as there is in the SEC. But defensively as a whole, when you lose what I do, I think you're all your best players. It's gonna be really tough to to perform at the same level. So what you have to ask yourself is if the defense might not be, and I, I honestly don't think they're going to be as good on defense this year. Well, is the offense going to take that big of a step forward to compensate for that in a new offense led by Chad Morris and how much autonomy is Chad Morris really going to have with Gus Malzahn? I mean,
0: especially when you all, when realistically you only have what, once again, one or two running backs. Um, I believe they have a whole new offensive line if I believe correctly. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's just a lot of uncertainties out there. You had uh, um, Bo Nix come back for year two, but I still think he's grossly overrated. Um, receiver wise,
1: eh, I mean, I just I think I, think I think could Williams see all being a receiver, receiver, but I, I think I think I actually think the receivers might be the best part of their offense. But you're right, the entire offensive line gone, lose their top running back. Sure, you get Tank Bigsby coming in, and he might he's probably going to be really good at some point but is he gonna be ready this year maybe we'll see i don't know we, have, we don't know that yet and you mentioned bo Nix. like i'm still p- call me crazy because i know people just like it, it's just an assumption now that bo Nix is going to be a superstar i'm just not convinced based off what i saw from him last year that this guy is an elite quarterback i mean he completed i know he's a freshman last year i get it but 57 percent of his passes were completed just a little over 2500 yards he started every game last year only 6.7 yards per attempt 16 touchdowns to 6 picks I know, freshman, yeah, I get it. But in a Gus Malzahn offense that's really designed to get some easy throws, a lot of screen passes in that offense, and you only complete 57% of your passes, only 6.7 yards per attempt, you're not hitting anything down the field. I I don't know. I just I don't see this guy. And if you look at his numbers, I wouldn't put up his numbers against the best teams he played. Because, look, if if Auburn is going to be a top-10 team, they're going to have to win some of these games against the top teams on their schedule. And if they're going to win those games, he has to be really good. But against the best teams on their schedule last year, he was not good. He just simply wasn't against Oregon, against Texas A&M, Florida, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. He combined to complete forty nine percent of his passes, only five point one yards per attempt, six touchdowns, six interceptions, only one hundred sixty six yards a game against the best defenses he faced last year. And sure, yes, all quarterbacks are gonna their numbers are probably gonna be a little bit lower against the best teams they face. I get it, but those are like that's pretty dramatic right there. Only 49% of his passes completed, 5.1 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, six picks against the best teams on the schedule. And maybe he makes a huge jump in year two, maybe. But I'm not just going to assume that he's going to do that just because, oh, he has a year of experience under his belt. Because I did not see that from him last year. I got to see it before I believe it. So I I don't know, man. Auburn, I'm not buying him as a top 10 team. I'm honestly not convinced they're going to win week one against Kentucky. Like I'm officially right now putting Auburn on upset alert in Week One against the Wildcats. I'm gonna put them on, on upset alert right now. So LSU is a good pick on your part. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Auburn though on 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 my end here. So the last part of the question here, Kirk, which team is most underrated? Um, I'm gonna go with, stick in s c c
0: West also and go with A&M. Okay, so AM think-
1: and they're coming at number uh, well number nine in my updated rankings. I think they were number thirteen in the original rankings, something like that
0: yeah exactly I mean I guess they're borderline in the new rankings but realistically that's my team that I think may be undervalued um you know it's year three under Jimbo I think Mon this is probably the year he's going to take some type of step I don't know how big of a step but he's going to take some type of step
1: I mean he's got to this is it for him I mean this is it so yeah I think I think A&M is a team I'm really watching in fact I certainly I I will say right now I think A&M is going to finish ahead of Auburn in the SEC West I, and potentially ahead of LSU as well so I think that's a good pick on your part there I'm gonna go a little further down the rankings. There's two teams I looked at. I don't know. I, I'm having a tough time picking between these. Um, so I got Kentucky and Louisville are the two teams I'm looking at here. You know what? Let's go with Louisville since they play in the ACC, and I think they have an easier path to maybe rise up in the rankings than Kentucky is. I think Kentucky's an underrated SEC team this year. Again, I'm putting them. I'm, I'm putting Auburn on upset alert week one when they play Kentucky. But Louisville, my updated rankings, comes in at number 20. I think they were outside their rankings in, in the, uh, the official rankings when they had the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams in there. But this Louisville team, guys, they took a massive step forward last year in, in their first year under new coach Scott Siderfield. And I think this year, once it, they finally got the quarterback situation set up towards the end of last year with Malik Cunningham, and I think they are set up to have a big-time year. I know they're not going to beat Clemson. I don't think that's going to happen. But they have two studs on offense. They have Tutu Atwell, receiver, went over 1,200 yards receiving last year. Hawkins went over 1,500 yards as a, as a running back last year. you got again, you got Cunningham as their quarterback, who, who's kind of a dual threat guy who really kind of came on last year after they tried out a number of different guys. I think Juwan Pass actually started the year for them, but Cunningham took over, and he ended up being the guy. So I think if they start on the right foot this year with those three guys kind of the three-headed monster offensively. I think Louisville is a team, when, you, when you're playing the ACC and outside of Clemson, I mean, it really isn't that all, all that tough. I mean, North Carolina is going to be pretty good. Miami will be solid. But I think Louisville is a team that could end up being, I don't know, I don't know maybe a fringe top-10 team when it's all said and done, when you factor in that you don't have any big 10 or Pac-12 teams in the rankings this year. So Louisville is a team I'm looking at, and Kentucky would be my, my next choice there. But um, good question, Richard. Appreciate that, man. Good one to start with. All right, let's move on here. Next question is from Trevor. Thanks for the question, my friend. He asked. A lot of people have been saying that this year's national champion will have an asterisk next to it because of the Big Ten and Pac-12 opting out of the season. With Georgia's luck, and you're exactly right, this would be the year we win it all, wouldn't that be our luck, man? Do you agree or disagree with those people, and why? And we have another question, kind of kind of along the same lines. We'll get to you right after this, but Kurt, like, I think this is a question that you're going to hear asked, and people are going to bring this up all throughout the season this year. But do you agree with that idea that there's going to be an asterisk next to whoever wins the national title this year?
0: From the SEC, ACC, Big 12 perspective, no. But from everyone else, yes, especially from the Big Ten with Ohio State and Penn State, they'll be the ones – Shut your face, guys. Shut State, your you know.
1: collective faces. You are voluntarily forfeiting the season. That's your fault. Deal with it. Exactly. In
0: Ohio State always, even when they got left out, they always make the argument that, you know, it's an asterisk because they weren't in there to play for it. Um, you know, the years where they were left out as the number five seed and stuff. So, I mean, it doesn't shock me, no. Um, but like I said, from the perspective from the teams playing, it won't be an asterisk and the other teams will claim it. But I'm sorry they made that choice, and if the other teams do go through playing this whole year and say we win it or something along those lines, you can try to say it's an asterisk, but if we win it all, you can sit there and say we beat every team that was in front of us, and that and
1: realistically, that's what a true champion does. Absolutely, man. Well said. Well said. Look, I'll say this. I I get where they're coming from. I mean, especially, yeah, because Ohio
0: State, realistically, even – um, they may not win it or if they played, but they're d i definitely believe going into the year they're one of the top four teams in the nation. And they probably would win the Big Ten easily um and be in the playoffs. So I do understand their argument, but when you don't play, you don't have a dog in the fight.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean like you're right. I, I get it. I get what they're saying. The idea that like how can you be a legit champ if you don't compete against like 40% of the other teams? Like two conferences are not, out of five power five conferences aren't playing. But what I would say that is what. Well, you're right you're, you're right about Ohio State, Kurt, but how many actual contenders from the Big Ten and Pac-12 are there for the College World playoff? Like
0: one, maybe two? Maybe Ohio State, maybe Penn State, those are the only two I could realistically maybe see. Oregon, being like maybe
1: Oregon, like maybe, maybe, but I, I don't I honestly don't buy Oregon as a national title contender this year. Maybe in the next couple of years, not this year. So, I, I I don't know, like Ohio State sure, maybe maybe Penn State. I'm not really, I don't know. I think Penn State was a fringe top 10 team. I think Oregon, like if Oregon would have run the table in the Pac-12, they would have had an argument. The, we know what the Pac-12 is, but, like, really, Ohio State's the only one you can say, yeah, that team, very good chance they would have been in the college playoff. And, like, okay, I'm sorry, it's one team. Like, and you're, you're choosing to for the season. I'm sorry, that is on you. And I'll say this, too. I was thinking about this question. Like, and then, Kurt, tell me what you think about this. I mean, I don't know. I'm playing around with this idea. But how, like, how would it be, whoever wins the national title this year, how is it any less legit than some of those Clemson national titles With the pathetic ACC schedules that they had been playing, like
0: think about that. Or what about all those, or all the national championships Alabama claims when realistically they didn't even finish number one that year? It's no different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, yeah, Clemson in all those years they won. I mean, you had Auburn go from like what three
0: champions you had some of these teams go from like only three national championships. Next thing you know, they're claiming to be the 10 time champion. Like yep. where the heck are these numbers coming from?
1: Well, any, if there was any, cause the, back in the day, there used to be all these obscure rankings out there. If any one of them had you number on the end of the season, then they would just claim it. Right. Uh, but like, yeah. look, I think, I think they're a good example here. Cause like they, it's not their fault. They play in the ACC. It is what it is. They, all they can do is beat the teams in front of them. Do they have an easier path than the team in the SEC? Absolutely, of course they do. It doesn't mean Clemson's not awesome. It doesn't mean they didn't deserve the title. It just, but the, the fact is their path was easier. So how is that going to be – how is that really all that different than what we're facing this year? Because, oh, you, oh if Georgia wins national title, what's well, not a legitimate title because Ohio State wasn't it? Well, who freaking cares, man? You still have Alabama. You still have LSU. You still have Clemson. You still have Oklahoma. You still have Texas. You have all these teams. You still have Notre Dame in there. Like we're going to play the teams that are in front of us, and I, I would still honestly say, when it's all said and no, done with a 10-game conference schedule, we're still going to play more quality teams than Clemson did in any of the years they won the national title. Like, seriously, if you think about it in totality, I would make that argument. And actually, what I would say is I would argue that we should get more credit for winning the national title this year. Any Whoever wins the title this year, I think they should get more credit because they're going to be playing a 10-game conference schedule, obviously more difficult. And you're also going to be overcoming all the, the covid I was going to say, yeah, not only members, that, but if
0: you make it through the season and you win it all, that means you your team did it the right way too, making it through all the restrictions on your team, all the protocols and dealing with COVID in a manner that kept your players on the field.
1: Sure. All the mental fortitude it takes to kind of go through all the uncertainty with this season to practice and work out and not knowing if your university, if your conference was even going to allow you to play. Like, I, I think that that says something, man. Like, that to me, that is extraordinarily difficult. So I think you can make an argument that you should get more credit for winning this year. Some people call me crazy. That's fine, but I'll go, I'll go with that argument. I will make that argument. Uh, and the next question kind of related to this, Curtis, is from Trey. He asked, would a title this year take away all the pain of years past or leave our fan base wanting because of the circumstances? For the record, I would proudly wear the T-shirt and put the vanity plate on my truck. So, Kurt, like I, this is an, an interesting extension to this question. Do you think our fan base... Would feel wanting? Do you feel like we would, would it really feel like a national title if we did happen to somehow win it this year?
0: I still think it feel like a national championship, yes, but you're seeing in general that the new mentality is, especially with like a team like Kirby Smart, winning one is not going to be enough. That's not going to get the dogs off his back or even him. Like he's a coach that expects perfection and expects to win more than one. So I think that it may get you over the hump in general of maybe, you know, the mental aspect of it, especially for the team perspective. Um, but no, I think there's going to be a, you know, the want more wanting, especially like, you know, you mentioned the, the way you win it. I mean, yeah, you may, I mean, I'll still be happy. Heck, i would wear stuff that says national, national championship and get all the memorabilia and stuff. But in the end, I would still want one beating the Ohio States of the world and stuff. So no one could sit there and ever try to take that away from us or talk about it in a manner. Like we didn't win it in that way. you at that point, you know, you're almost like an undis- a true undisputed champion.
1: Well, when and if we win a national title, it's going to open the floodgates, man. So I think it'll be a dog dynasty here at some point. Uh, but look, I, I think Trey's on to something. I do think inevitably they're going to be somewhere around the country and, and, of course, in our fan base who who don't necessarily feel like it it's a true national title. But for me, no way. If we win, I, I'm all in. Like, like, what are we talking about here? So let's say we go through the regular season 9-1, and one, right? We uh, play Alabama again in the SEC title. Maybe that's who we lose to, right? We get a rematch the SEC title. We beat them. Then the playoffs. Let's say we beat Oklahoma in in the first round, and then we beat Clemson in the national title game. You're telling me that team didn't deserve to win a national title? Really? I would are we gonna make that? Yeah, argument? I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm like, with I, you. Yeah. But
0: then again, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know a,
1: you are. But like, there there will be people who will make that argument. I'm sitting here like, what? What? Look at our
0: shoot. Our, even, our, even when you how win how did, undisputed, how how there's some, there's still someone there making some argument how you got lucky.
1: And that's fine. Let them make that argument. I, I I'm not listening. I'm not listening. So uh yeah, look, I know that people are gonna make that argument. I know people in the fan base will feel that way, but not me, man. Uh I'll take it. I'll take it. Especially like with the schedule we have this year, especially that front end of that schedule, and you get through the college football playoff, because they're I mean again, Ohio State's probably the only legitimate team I think that could be in the playoffs this year that's not gonna be able to be in it. So I'm no, I'm not buying that at all. And I will I'm with you, Trey. I'm wearing the shirt, every bit of memorabilia, placed on my on my on my on my car, everything, man. Whole nine yards. It's happening for sure. Hell, I might even try to get a ring somehow. I don't know. I'll find one. I'll find a way somehow. Uh, but anyway, let's move on here. We've got Alexander up next, long-time listener. Always appreciate the, the questions, Alexander. He asked, with the NCAA essentially giving a free year of eligibility to everybody, who are some players you could see coming back for a fifth or sixth year in 2021? And in case you guys missed this, what Alexander is referring to is the NCAA did come out and say that every player in the country this year, whether your team plays or not, is going to be allowed to have an extra year of eligibility. They basically don't have to count this year against their eligibility. And I, this is what I was alluding to a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about like the whole controversy over, are they going to play and not going to play? And the Big Ten's not going to play. The Pac-12's not going to play. So are they going to give those guys an extra year of eligibility? And I, I was saying you can't do that because that puts the SEC, the AC, and the Big 12 if they play at a competitive disadvantage moving forward. And the NCAA clearly agreed with me, and they just said, well, we, we can't just favor two conferences. So we're just going to say everybody – gets a, a free pass this year. No, Nothing counts as their eligibility, no matter if you play or not. So, current, I, I think this this is an interesting question. Is there anyone on our roster that you could see coming back for a fifth or sixth year in 2021? I think you definitely
0: got to look at the offensive line. I mean, two guys that come to mind right away are Justin Schaefer and Ben Cleveland. Um You know, I think both those guys have places that they can improve on for their team uh, in their art craft and everything. So, just looking offensively, those are the two that jump to my mind right away.
1: Yeah, Schaefer is a guy I have on my list here. And I I think when when I was thinking about this question, here's what was going through my mind. I think it has to like if you're thinking about what guys might come back for an extra year. That would have otherwise exhausted their eligibility this year. I think it has to be guys that see value in coming back, and that it could, coming back could significantly raise their draft stock. Maybe a guy who hasn't really played that much in his career, but, but sees a lack of depth in his position next year. Maybe a guy who's battled injuries. Um, those kind of guys, I think, are who you have to look for. I think Justin Schaefer is a guy who's battled injuries. This is really going to be his first year. There's a chance to be like the guy as a starter from, from day one. Another guy I'm throw out here, Curtis, what about Mark Webb? Oh, that's definitely a guy. Yeah, I mean, I
0: was trying to think of some defensive guys. Because um, he's a Mark Mark guy
1: He's a receiver. He has developed and gotten better every year. But he's still, I mean, still, I think, learning how to play that position. So another year learning how to play that position. And we're going to have a, we're, we're losing a lot of guys in the secondary next year. I think Webb could see some plays on like, maybe outside of star, maybe actually cornerback. He could compete for that job. So I, I think he might be a candidate who might potentially come back. And I would welcome him back with open arms. What about Julian Rochester? Oh, I mean, he may have a grandchild by then, but heck, he would be back. Dude, I, I was looking at uh I was going through the roster today, like looking at this thinking about this question. So I just kinda went up and down the roster, like, okay, who who might be coming back? Who could who could fit this profile? And I saw Julian's picture and I clicked on it, I was like, Oh my God. Julian Rochester looks like he, like we've said this before, but he truly, like guys, go to the, go to the roster page on GeorgiaDogs.com, pull up the roster, and look at Julian Rochester's picture. The dude looks like he's forty-eight years old. Had he, he, he might looks like he's the team goodbye.
0: chaplain or something? I mean, he's almost like the new Jonah Hayes of the team, or you know, jo- or jo- I don't know which Jonah it is when it comes to football. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's almost who he is to the team.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, man. I, I was thinking about like God, I. Can he even relate to the, like the freshman on the team anymore? Like this guy, I don't know, man, but like, he's a guy, I think about like missed all, like basically had red shirt last year, was injured late 2018 and he's come back this year, but like, he's not a guy anyone's really talking about right now. It's like an NFL guy. So maybe, you know, he comes back and says, you know what, let me, let me give it one more shot. Let me see. You know, I, I would probably be literally 24, 25 years old. If he came back again, like, if and, and you're just that much bigger and stronger than everybody else and that much older, like, hey, maybe, maybe you could catch some eyes in the NFL, you know, and, and and catch on somewhere. So maybe he's a guy. But outside of those guys, I mean, I went up and down the roster. Those are the only three, Schaefer, Webb, and Rochester, that really were kind of coming to mind for me. Maybe I'm missing somebody here. But I think those three, maybe Cleveland, that's a good argument there too, Kurt, that could kind of fall in that category. All right, next up, uh, somewhat related, there's a question from Mark. And, Kurt, you were actually – were, we were talking about this question a little bit last week. But Mark asks, with all the talk about players from the Big Ten or Pac-12 transferring out to play this fall, which position might Georgia look at trying to bring in a transfer from one of those conferences? So, Kurt, I know this is a question that was on your mind. Where would you go with this?
0: If I had to pick one player, um, I'd probably – go on the offensive line especially say like uh sewell or someone at the tackle position that's who i'd probably try to solidify as good as i think Sawyer may be you still don't know what to expect and things like that so if you were able to get a, st- a stud left tackle and then move Sawyer to right tackle all of a sudden your offensive line is stout
1: yeah great points so we still have a or, or, right tackle. i mean
0: realistically i'm only looking on the offensive side of the ball i'd look at a tackle some type of running back that may be more established or
1: a wider receiver that's exactly what I've got here, man. Like, Because I think when you're answering this question, I think you're, you're having to look at, at guys who are looking to play immediately. Like if a guy's transferring, he's probably going to be looking to play immediately. So where do we need immediate help? I, I think you're right. Offensive line is replacing four-ish starters, if you want to say that. I love Ben cleveland has got plenty of starting experience. A big-time wide receiver that would be opposite George Pickens. I mean, that would make us – I mean, I love the young guys they have on the roster right now, but a, if you can throw in a big-time, legit target right now that's, that's done it, Ooh, man, that, that really kind of uh, that changed the game for us offensively. And maybe safety depth. I, I like the top two at safety was seen and Richard LeCount, but I don't know if we have great quality depth behind them right now. So maybe somebody. But I don't know who's going to come in just to be like a depth piece. Like these guys are transferring They're probably going to want a place where they can start right away. But definitely offensive line. Definitely wide receiver coming in that can play right away. Those are the positions that I would certainly be be kicking the rocks around with if uh, if the NCAA doesn't allow these guys to transfer out. Um, all right, next up, we got a question from uh-huh. Evan. This is a good one here. Evan asks, how did we let another elite in-state quarterback leave the state? Gunnar Stockton is only the latest in the line, going back to Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, and Harrison Bailey and Max Johnson last year. So, Kurt, Evan is not happy that we let Gunnar Stockton – you guys don't know who he is. He's a quarterback from Raven County, not too far from Athens. And he has recently, over the weekend, committed to South Carolina. It was down to us or us or South Carolina ends up going to the Gamecocks. So Kurt, do you have a big issue with this? Like how did, how did this happen? How do we let another guy? Cause he's a, Um, I'm I'm not not trying to be mean, but I just don't, I just totally disagree with
0: that sentiment. First off, I think that's just trying to uh, create drama within the fan base because realistically you were not, I mean, you may have gotten Stockton, you were in his final two, but we were never going to be his choice. Let's be honest. We just got Brock Vandegrift who's going to sit out for a year and then be ready to take the job for the most part. Um, And another thing is, like, we, everyone wanted to complain about the quarterback controversy that we've had ever since, almost practically since Kirby Smart's taken over. And yet, once again, people are wanting to get right back into a controversy like that, um, you know, with someone like uh, Gunnar Stockton. Uh, So I think that's a crazy sentiment that you want to say, oh, we let him out. Um, You know, that was the same thing everyone was saying when we let Vandegrift go. Well, in the end, we got our guy. Um, and, and I think so. I think first off that that needs to be put into perspective that when you already have Brock Vandergriff ahead of him, who's more likely to be sitting out a season with JT Daniels, it's hard to recruit a guy of that nature and say you know you can come in and be on equal footing because you're not Vandergriff's coming off a redshirt year where he gets to sit there and learn. And so I, I think that is a ridiculous sentiment to think that we just let him go or you know that. You know, we just lose out on another guy. And first off, to throw in Max Johnson in that argument is pretty ridiculous because <laughs> I don't think Max Johnson, Max Johnson is anywhere near the type quarterback of the Deshaun Watson or some of these other guys that, that's being mentioned in this sentiment. And then second of all, you also have to look at recruiting for the future. Not only are we trying to keep the guys happy that we have in certain things, as you know, pe- as we saw, people weren't happy. Um, with one one guy leaves and another one stays because they go do well, then all of a sudden it's like, well, shouldn't have been handled differently. So once again, like that whole controversy I was talking about. And then the fact is also there's quite a few good quarterbacks in the class behind Gonder Stockton. So you you have to, as He's we're learning, you really have to watch this. By separation, cause, and we don't know how rules are going to change where guys could maybe get one free transfer and then be good to go. And if that's the case, then what do you do if you realistically – have one of those guys and then you're back into a situation like we were last year Jake Fromm was really the only option on the roster um and if we got injured we were completely screwed and so i think you have to also look ahead and that's where i you know want to look ahead at you know they're looking at people like the Manning child the uh, MJ Morris i don't know where he, what school he's at now cuz i do know he the transferred again i think he went back to Pace Academy yeah. um but either way i think that it's just it's got to be mentioned, and I'm also going to sit here and not say it's over for Gunnar Stockton. Like I mentioned before, we lost Brock Vandegrift, but we pulled him back into the fold, and Stockton had a great – especially once um, we got Vandergriff. and then they, um, South Carolina hired Bobo and Connor Shaw. It's kind of over for him in the most part. But then again, we don't know if they're going to be on staff come next year um, the way South Carolina is because people are like, oh, South Carolina's not going to move on from Muschamp because they got Gunnar Stockton in the waiting. Well, you can't just keep a coach – for two years, just because of one player. And once again, that one player may not be enough to win you at all. So if they do move on from him, you're right back in it where we finished number two, kind of like with Vanderker. I feel like we finished number two with him at the time. And when he decided he didn't want to go to Oklahoma, we were there with waiting arms.
1: Yeah. Everything you said there, I mean, that, that was a great breakdown of this situation. I, I think you have to look at context here. So one thing I would say I'm not going to hold this one against Kirby Smart & Company because there's a lot of context. And If you look at all of those quarterbacks that Evan mentioned in the question, Deshaun Watson, absolutely 100%. That was a miss. But there was some context there too. Deshaun Watson wanted to come to Georgia early in his high school career. We just prioritized Bryce Ramsey over Deshaun Watson. And that was a mistake, obviously. And uh, he ends up going to Clemson, and there's, there's no taking that one back. That was a miss, 100%. But Trevor Lawrence, guys, when he came out of high school, there were two elite quarterbacks from the state of Georgia – Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. We were never realistically going to get both of those guys in the same class. That just wasn't going to happen. And we ended up getting Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence goes to Clemson. I know the things didn't work out with Justin Fields. And you can, that's a whole other scenario situation. You can hold that against Kirby if you want. But landing one of them, we got one of those guys. We're never going to get both those guys in the same year. Harrison Bailey. He's a fringe top 100 guy out of Marietta High School. Yeah, I don't even year. think
0: of Harrison Bailey as a, a miss. I mean, I think him and Max Johnson were just kind of what was just there last year. I don't think the quarterback group last year was all that strong.
1: And With Harrison Bailey, he, he got better as his high school career went on, but there was never really much mutual interest on either side in that situation. And Max Johnson, good player, solid kid, man. But, look, I, I live in Athens. I've seen Max Johnson play in person a couple times, and I'm, I'm I every time I left the game – I'm sitting there like, man, I'm not sure what people are seeing him. And he ended up being, now he was a highly rated guy early on, ends up being outside the top 250. I don't wish anyone ill. I wish him the best of luck, but I don't see him as a miss. I, I just don't see that. Uh, and I was hoping with the addition of JT Daniels that that it would, kind of, it would kind of help here with Gunnar Stockton. Because I think Gunnar Stockton is a really good quarterback. I'd love to have him on the roster for sure. And he's a 2022 guy, uh, by the way, everyone out there, just in case you, you weren't clear on that. But I was hoping with Daniels, it might create a situation potentially where, where Daniel starts in 21, at least for the NFL, and then Van Griff or Beck or Mathis, None of them have a, a year of full starting experience on Gunnar Stockton going into the 2020 year, and that would be a, a truly – 2022 year, and that would be a truly wide-open battle. But there were just too many influences working, working against us in this one. Kurt, you alluded to all those uh, with Bobo and Connor Shaw. Let me go into a little more detail on, on what the connections were there. My Bobo's dad used to coach at Raven County. It was for a long time. It was influential in developing Gunnar Stockton at a young age as a quarterback. So there's that, that connection right there with Mike Bobo. Then J-Bo Shaw, who used to play at Georgia Southern, is the head coach currently at Raven County where Gunnar Stockton plays. That is his head coach. And his brother Connor is a South Carolina legend. We know that. And, oh, yeah, he just got the job at Carolina as the new director of player development. So there's another major connection plus, it's much more wide open of a path to being the starter at South Carolina than it is here right now. I mean, our quarterback yeah, is Helensky
0: will more than likely be gone by the time uh, Stockton gets there.
1: I mean, Stockton, Helensky will almost certainly be gone. I, I mean, let's just see. Helensky will be a sophomore this year in 20. 21 will be a junior. So at the very, at, at the most, Helensky will be a senior, right? So he'll have to sit one year. And there's really no one else there in that quarterback room besides Helensky. And I'm not sure Helensky a long-term answer anyway right now. So it's just a much easier path to playing time and in quarterbacks nowadays with all these guys transferring, only one quarterback can play. So these guys are, you know, they take, where can I play the quickest? They take that very seriously in these decisions. They don't want to have to transfer out. And there's just no class separation between him and Brock Vandegrift. And I think Brock Vandegrift is the better prospect. You got to take him if Brock is willing to come here. So when we landed Vandegrift, it made it a lot tougher to land either Stockton or MJ Morris out of Pace County. So I, I, it sucks. It's just kind of the situation. Stockton's a good player. I'd love to have him. I don't cherish the idea that he is, or relish the idea that he's going to be playing at South Carolina, but I will say this, Kurt, you kind of alluded to this as well. It does give us a much better shot at landing Arch Manning in 2023. And that is Cooper Manning's son, who's supposed to be the next great all, I mean, I haven't really seen this guy play much, but from all accounts, he's supposed to be the next great quarterback prospect. So it'll give us a much better chance there with a full year of separation, or I guess two years of separation between Vannegrift and Arch Manning. So, Look, God bless the kid. From everything I hear, Gunnar Stockton's a great young man. I wish him the absolute best, but I am certainly not going to beat Kirby Smart up over this one in, in, in any way, shape, or no, form. No, I mean,
0: because he's in the state of Georgia, too, doesn't mean that everything's pushing
1: him towards Georgia. Totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. There's, sometimes there's other influences that, that can be a little bit more important than just the fact that Georgia's the home state school. Absolutely. Uh, all right, moving on here, we've got a question from Cliff. Always appreciate it, Cliff. Cliff has asked about the offensive line. He says, has Trey Hill fixed the snapping issue? I don't mean to be negative, but it has cost Georgia before. And he's he's right, it has. In fact, should he be playing guard, not center? He's an incredible football player. Don't get me wrong. Just bringing up the concern and wondering if he really belongs at center. I think this is a fair question because we have seen some of those snapping issues. So what's your take on this? I mean, I've always said
0: that, honestly, I thought he should have been a guard. So, I mean, I'm with you on that one, Cliff. You know, even last year, I did mention at times that I thought Hill was a little too slow coming off the ball, especially what we saw with Galliard years ago where he, you know, was always on point with his snaps, um, never really messed up. And then, you know, he would just uh, explode off the ball, and that was where something where uh, Hill really struggled. Um, but towards the end of the season, he became a uh, you know a rock for us there. I mean, he made a few bad snaps at the end of the year, I believe. But I still think that he um, is still learning the position and getting better too at that same thing. So, I think that yeah, I mean, I agree. I think someone else could be at center, and that he'll maybe better suited for the guard position. But I don't. I think that he can still be a successful center for us.
1: Yeah, I'm just kind of echo what you said here, Kerr. I. I agree. I've always felt, and I agree with Cliff here as well, that 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 Trey Hill is probably more of a natural guard than he is a center. But I think the fact is right now when you look at our offensive line is we just have a number of guys who can play that position, that guard position, more so than we have the guys that are a fit at center. We don't, we just don't have as many yeah, – That was that the quickest way
0: for him to get on the field was those injuries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at what we had last year, okay, we had Solomon Kinley, Ben Cleveland, Cade Mays, Justin Schaefer, and Trey Hill. I mean, Trey Hill could certainly play guard, but – not many of those guys could really play center as well as Trey Hoka play. So I think it was just kind of the situation that got him in that center position. And I think until we find a guy that we feel more comfortable with at center, I think he's probably going to stick there. Now I would say maybe Cedric Van Pram, who I think, I think very highly upcoming coming in this year in this 2019 or this 2020 recruiting class. He's a guy that I think is going to be a very good center player, uh, center prospect for us. I think he can become that guy. Maybe he becomes that guy next year, and then Hill is able to move to guard next year when we're losing Ben Cleveland, losing Justin Schaefer, potentially. That's
0: if Hill sticks around. But Yeah, yes.
1: if, yeah, sure, because a ju- he'll be a junior this year. He could potentially go pro. So I, I totally see where you're coming from, Cliff. I just think the fact is we have a lot of guys that can play guard and not as many guys that can play center at a high level. And the snapping is a concern for me. It, it has hurt us at times. Look, one bad snap can cost you a game, man. Absolutely can cost you a game at the wrong moment. It, it certainly can. So like that is a concern, but I just I, I obviously he, he's the guy that we feel most comfortable with right now, and if he has some of those issues, but I like mean, I'm 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 guessing all the other guys that that were in contention to have even more issues. So not maybe a perfect situation, but I think it's the best of the situation, the best that we can make of the situation right now. But a good question there for sure. All right, up next we got a question from Justin who's asking about a commitment that we got today actually on Monday. He asked, "What can you tell us about the newest commitment, Dejan Warren?" If you guys missed it. He is a JUCO, the number one cornerback JUCO prospect, number two overall JUCO prospect in the country coming out of, out of uh, the JUCO ranks this year, and he committed on his twenty first birthday. So, Kurt, what what kind of prospect is Deshawn Warren?
0: Um, to me, he's a better he's a rich man version of DJ Daniel. Um, just in that version, I'm saying someone that can come in and start right away for you. But I say the rich version because this he's a better better athlete and just being a better player in general longer quicker guy he runs a sub four, 440 and he just plays the ball really well what really well in the air um, the one thing i really pick up on him is he's not one of these guys that um, he's like the exact opposite of Tyson Campbell. Tyson Campbell struggles playing the ball. He has to play the person. this guy plays the ball. He, I mean you can, the wider receiver can do anything they want you know juking and doing all these things, but the guy's gonna sit on that ball and, and that's where he's going to go after. and um, I just love the guy the way he plays the ball in the air. he's really good um, with his uh, ball skills of catching the ball and doing all those different things. And then uh, one thing I think that's really undervalued, um, you know we're talking about how he's long and quick and things like that, the guy can come up and lay the wood.
1: Yeah, man. I love this guy. Uh, I put out a most-wanted list uh, a couple of weeks back, and he was just outside the top five. He came in at number six on my list. I love this guy, man. I you're, I love what you said there. That's a, that's a great analogy. He's a rich man's DJ Daniel. And, like, I love DJ Daniel. I think DJ, DJ Daniel might be – like, he might have been our best cornerback last year. Like, he really, in reality, I think he might – Yeah, he it's nothing more. against
0: DJ Daniel. It's just the fact that, like, you know, his in, the impact he had – is what yes. you're going to see from this
1: guy. Yeah. DeJon Warren is more of a plus athlete, which is what you were saying. And that's like DJ Daniel was really good. He is really good, but Warren is just a better overall athlete. I mean, he is, he's a stud. I think he's an immediate impact type guy. Uh, like I said, number two JUCO prospect in the country coming out of Lackawanna Community College, uh, about six foot, 175, 180 pounds. He looks bigger than that, though. I don't know how accurate those measurements are, but that's according 247. Uh, but he's an extraordinarily explosive athlete. Like you mentioned, like sub 4-4, four, four, right around 4-4 four, four speed. I don't know if that if those numbers – I saw those numbers too. I don't know if those are laser time or not. But but you watch his game tape, man. Like he's got game speed. It, it, it looks legit. And he has, you're right, Kurt. I like what you said comparing him to Tyson Campbell. The ball skills. That's the difference. Outstanding ball skills. Also, as you mentioned, definitely does not shy away from contact. Maybe a smaller frame, but he will hit you. He's a very aggressive player. Um, great hits, quick reflexes. And I think he plays with good technique. That's only going to improve once he gets here with our coaching staff. So I I, I love this guy. And with all the guys we're losing, like, we could potentially lose our top three corners next year. We could potentially lose Tyson Campbell, DJ Daniel, and uh, Eric Stokes as well, potentially. And maybe Campbell comes back. I don't know. He has a chance to. But we're going to lose Daniel and we're going to lose Stokes. So there's a chance that Warren can come in and be a starter right away. and I think he's got the makeup to be that kind of guy. Very, very excited about that commitment, for sure. Big-time commitment. All right, and last question here today, guys, Curtis. We've got um, a question from Aaron. So appreciate it, Aaron. Aaron asks, how would you rank the quarterbacks that Georgia has to face this year? It's an interesting question, Kurt, although I would say this to start off with. We don't know who's going to start for every team, right? Like there's some guys that we know who are going to start. Like some teams we know who, who their starting quarterback is going to be. Like Ford, we know it's going to be Kyle Trask. We know Auburn's going to be Bo Nix. But there are some teams, I'd say Missouri, we're not 100% sure on. Kentucky, we're not 100% sure on. It could be Terry Wilson coming off of injury, but it also could be Joey Gatewood, the transfer from Auburn. We're not 100% sure there. So not every team that, that we're playing do we know who their starter is going to be. So, Kurt, of the guys that we know, I know it's kind of putting you on the spot here, but, yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick with the top 3 and that's what I, how I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to
0: while I don't think he's the best quarterback in the SEC, I'm going to go with Kyle Trask to begin with because I think that we know what he is and I think he fits the offense of Florida decently well. He's not the mobile type, but he fits the offense well, especially from a passing perspective. Um number 2, I'm going to go with Mac Jones. Um I, once again, I don't think he's the most talented quarterback, but the offense he has built around him and things like that and put him in a position to be successful. Um he's going to yes,
1: he Bryce Young?
0: Um, I think Bryce Youngs was is, was disadvantaged by the fact of the Corona hitting when they didn't have a spring practice. So I think that in the fact that there's no really um, – you know, Sisters of the Poor Games, they let him get in there and get a lot of experience that he could really use to his advantage. And I think Matt Jones is smart. He knows what to do with the ball. He's going to protect the ball for the most part. Um, so that's why I'm going to go with him, number two. And then number three, I'm going to go with Bo Nix.
1: Okay, fair. Uh, I don't have – a great amount of disagreement with you here. I would flip-flop Trask and Jones. I I think what I saw from from Mac Jones last year, granted a much smaller sample size than what we saw from Kyle Trask, I liked what I saw from Mac Jones a little bit more. I think he's got the chance to be a little bit more explosive down the field. Kyle Trask is a good quarterback, a good, safe, solid quarterback. Like we said, all offseason long, he's a good player. Safe, solid, but he is not a game-changing quarterback. Not in my opinion whatsoever. In fact, who I would put number one, it's a guy who hasn't played in the SEC. I would put KJ Costello from Mississippi State at number one. i put him up there number one awesome. right now. Yeah, he's a guy that I think he's proven more than any quarterback on our schedule this year. His best year as a sophomore at Stanford completed 65% of his passes, 3,500 yards passing at Stanford who doesn't really throw the ball under David Shaw, 8.6 yards per attempt, 29 touchdowns, 11 picks. In his career at Stanford, 49 touchdowns to 18 interceptions. This guy's played more and has more of a track record than anybody that plays the quarterback position on our schedule. I will put Matt Jones just slightly above Kyle Trask. I'm not going to argue with anyone who has Kyle Trask above him. That makes sense to me. I just think Matt Jones can do a little bit more. Matt Jones is a little bit more mobile as well. I think that has to factor in. To any conversation we're talking about, quarterback play this year. And Jones's numbers are actually better than Trask. Yes, Mac Jones has some ridiculous receivers to throw to, but Trask had some really good receivers to throw to as well last year. He has one of the best tight ends in the country, if not the best receiving tight end in the country. You got Van Jefferson, who's an NFL player. You have Swain out there. You Cleveland. He has some good receivers too, but Mac Jones, 69% of his passes he completed last year, 10.7 yards per attempt. Yes, great receivers. I get it, but still, that's impressive. 14 touchdowns, only three picks. Yep, two of the picks were pick sixes that cost him a game against Auburn. But the guy played really well against some good defenses last year. And he wasn't the guy from the get go. Trask, good numbers, 67% completion percentage, 8.3 yards per attempt, 25 touchdowns, seven picks. I just, it's more of a preference for me. I just think Mac Jones, I would take him a little bit above Kyle, Kyle Trask right now. I would have Bo Nix coming in number four. I, I, we mentioned him earlier, so I don't want to go into too much detail there. I would come in at number five, just outside uh, the top four. I'd have Jared Guarantano, who I think gets a lot of flack and deservedly so at times, making some really boneheaded decisions. Like, he has some Felipe Felipe Franks in him. I think he's a good player, talented guy, but just makes some catastrophic decisions. Like, the rogue decision to try to do the quarterback against Alabama when he fumbles in the end zone, they return it for 100 yards for a touchdown. Completely changed that game. Uh, Then I would go with with, uh, Felipe Franks ahead of Ryan Holinsky. I would go with Franks ahead of of Holinsky right now because I think that – Franks is more physically gifted. Yeah, make some of those catastrophic mistakes. But I think he's more gifted than, than Helensky is. He's a better dual threat guy. And Helensky really did not impress me all that much last year. He really tailed off for the end of, end of last year. But among the guys that we know are going to be the stars uh, for the different teams on our schedule, at least we're confident that they're going to be the stars, that's kind of how I'd ring it. I would Costello, one. Mac Jones, two. Kyle Trash, three. Bonix four. Garantano, Garantano, however you want to say that, five. Franks, six. And Helinski coming in at number seven but uh, all right guys that does it for stay here on the glory uj podcast we always appreciate you tuning in and checking the show out we will have part two of the august listener mailbag later on this week so check back later for that but for curtis i'm tyler thanks for listening and as always go dogs